Welcome back to CodingCat.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Brought to you by Cloudinary. Build faster with AI-powered image and video APIs. Welcome back, perfect peeps, to CodingCat.dev podcast. Today on the show, we have April with us. How are you doing, April? Good, thanks. How are you? Good to be here. Doing fantastic. Uh, I feel like I'm in that mode because we're we're pre-recording this, so I'm sure you guys will watch it later. But I'm in that mode where I'm like, "What gifts have I forgot to buy?" Mode. <laughs> Are you guys in that yet? Yeah, I still have a few that we need to buy, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we're we're taking like a Disney trip this year, so we're like, "Hey, we're not doing oh, gifts; yeah. we're just doing stockings." And so it gives me that feeling like, I I just feel like I don't have things for under the tree and so it's like missing oh, and I'm, yeah. I'm like freaking out somewhat so yeah we're doing big up. items too like we're doing desks for the kids and that you can't wrap a desk so it's like oh my gosh what, what like are we gonna put, put under in the, the garage tree? like take it in the garage uh, and no like no Oh, they're absolutely laying on the ground and they know what they're getting already so it's not <laughs> even a surprise and i feel terrible but like whatever it is what it is right <laughs> it is what it is that's awesome. Cool. Uh, April, tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of uh, some of your journey. I know there's some technical background in your path. Can you start like back then and, and creep forward? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, so I studied computer science and started in high school and I loved uh, coding. I loved uh, I loved video games back in the day. So I was kind of a classic story in that sense. Uh, and then I went on to major in computer science in college and enjoyed that. Uh, I went up to the Bay Area and worked at a bunch of companies there uh, doing all kinds of programming languages, all kinds of technologies. And I did that for uh, almost a decade. And, and you know, I got to the point where I was leading teams and, and all of that. Yeah. And um, Around 2016, I got to a point where I was kind of feeling burnt out on the industry and I was noticing just some uh, cultural problems just in the industry and, and people kind of burning out, other people burning out. And uh, just, you know, some of the products we're, we were creating didn't seem to be contributing to, to human flourishing, but maybe even hurting that. And so all of this led me to start my company, Compassionate Coding, uh, in 2016 with the goal of bringing more humanity to the work that we do. Uh, because, you know, I still love uh, coding. I still love all of that. But I think bringing a little more of the human element uh, really helps everybody. Yeah, for sure. So let me pull some things out of that. So have you always been in California then? Uh, no, actually. So okay. I was I was born in uh, California, but when I was two, we moved to Texas. So oh, okay. I actually spent uh, my formative years in Texas, and then I moved back out here to go to college. And I went to Pomona College, which is in Southern California. It's a liberal arts school, but I stayed in computer science there. And uh, then I lived in Silicon Valley area, Mountain View, for uh, that was when I spent I was up there for about ten years, and then. After I started my company and things were going well, I moved down here where I am now, which is San Diego. Uh, so it's nice and nice and sunny, and I'm by the beach, and you know I get to travel for my work, so I get to you know explore different areas. But my home base is kind of this nice beachy kind of area, which I love. That's really cool. And so those like ten years in Silicon Valley, can you break that down a little bit for me? Where you like it was just a grind and like you're going in every day and you're trying to crush it and like, like <laughs> climb the ladder and all of those things or what was that experience like and how did it help form you? Yeah. You know, I think I 
so I loved the actual like technical work of coding and that kind of thing. Uh, but I graduated in 2008, so I'm dating myself a bit here, but uh, that, you know, was a similar time to now in terms of the economy, yeah. uh, but I had nothing to compare it to, right? So I was just, I graduated and I kind of just took whatever I could get, you know? And so I started off at Sony working on some PlayStation uh, middleware, uh, which the thing that was cool to me is I got a free PlayStation. And as I mentioned, I was into gaming back then, not so much now, but so I was like, hey, free PlayStation, I don't really care what I'm doing at work. And as it turns out at those big companies, especially when you're just starting out, sometimes you're not doing a lot. You know, there's yeah. just a lot, there's so much bureaucracy and there's so much, you know, all that. Uh, so I kind of took a very practical, I guess, kind of approach. I was just like, I, I need a job. I do like this, but whatever. And then, you know, as I matured and uh, started to see what I liked and didn't like, I was like, okay, I don't like long commutes, which at the time I was doing a pretty long commute. Uh, you know, I don't like these big companies where what I do day to day doesn't matter that much. <laughs> like, uh, I don't see much of an impact. Uh, so then I started pivoting a bit and I thought, okay, well, how about maybe a startup? Because then I'll have more say in things. And so I started working at a startup, uh, a social gaming startup. Uh, back when the Facebook games, the Farmville, all that kind of stuff was was just getting started. Uh, apologies for my contributions to all of that now, but, um, but you know- A I job's thought, hey, a job, right? Like you can't apologize well, now, right? Well, uh, so at the time, you know, and it, it was fun, you know, I will say it was yeah. fun, uh, but uh, even that though, I didn't bring much satisfaction, didn't bring much meaning. And it was still kind of, um, I never really felt like I fit in uh, just, sure. or I tried to fit in, but, you know, I wasn't really being myself. How about that? Like I would kind of dress like everybody else and, you know, wear the, the hoodie and wear the, you know, try to be the cool dev person. And I was just like, I, I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, I can see, I just wasn't really being myself. I was trying to fit that mold and try to fit in with the crowd of the devs. And anyway, and so then I thought, okay, let me move to startups, another startup that's maybe doing, uh, Actually, no, I went to do research at a lab. Um, after enough time passes, it gets, things get Oh, mixed. yeah. But, yeah. I have especially, to look on LinkedIn every time. I, I'm I, like clueless. Because I, especially because like I don't do interviews now. So I'm not like often, you know, telling my story very much. But, uh, but yeah, so I worked at a research lab doing uh, bioinformatics research. So that was just kind of random. But I thought, oh, maybe I want to go back to grad school. So let me try to get back into academia or whatever. And then that was cool. But, uh, it was a nonprofit and they were under-resourced. And, and so then I was like, all right, let me try another startup. And so I did one in the ed tech space, which again, I thought would bring meaning and I'd have impact. And that one was fine. Uh, they kind of like went under whatever things happen. And so that didn't, that didn't work out great. And so, but I learned a lot and, you know, again, was advancing in my technical skills, leadership skills, all that. So, you know, no matter where you end up, you end up gathering a lot of those skills. Um, yeah, and then I worked at a cool company that was working to do early screening for uh, uh, developmental delays in children. And so oh. it was trying to help identify the, the signs of developmental delay early so they could get in for treatment. Um, and that was neat too. And I thought, again, meaningful startup. Uh, I was like the first full-time dev there. So I had a big role in hiring, led the engineering team there. That was really cool. Uh, but again, the company started, you know, it's a startup. So it starts like trying to make money by doing things. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I'm on board with that and, and all that. So ethically and all of that. So I was like, all right. So I left there, had one more startup adventure at user testing, which did uh, usability research. And that was kind of where I hit my breaking point because I was, so I, I mean, 
I don't always focus on the identity side of things, but it, it ended up, you know, it did play a role in this. So it was a 40 person engineering team and I was the, the first woman. And so, you know, oh, anytime you're like the only one, there's some, there's sometimes some weird dynamics there. So, but I mean, I'm all, I'm, I don't mind taking on that challenge, but uh, it can lead to some frustrations because I would kind of try to advocate for things like, let's not say we want to hire a new iOS guy. Let's say, you know, because that puts in our head like what we're looking for, right? So I would just throw in these little things, but uh, people, you know, some people were resistant to that. So I got the feedback that people were afraid of me, which is always a funny thing to get when you're kind of like not a very seemingly intimidating person, but yeah, whatever. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to start my own thing. And thus, out of frustration and, and a little bit of inspiration, Compassionate Coding was born. Wow. That, that's an incredible journey. Uh, thank you for sharing it, too. Brittany, have you run into that where you've been the only woman on an all-male team? I mean, all the time. But yeah. <laughs> uh, my current company is a little better. But like as you go farther and farther up in leadership, like it, it starts to trickle in. Cool. I mean you have those hires and then the hires come in and you're like, why are we not doing more diversity hires? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. We're, we're actually hiring right now. And it's, it's kind of like, I've put it in everyone's mind. Like there's a whole lot of white males sitting around. So let's figure yeah. this out guys. So and we'll probably talk a, a little bit more about that too. I would imagine. And I will just jump in to say that, you know, like I said, like as I've, gone on in my career, like I don't focus as much on the specific kind of demographics as much as it's sort of like a signal a bit in terms of like it gives a little bit of a sign. But even like in terms of personality types, it's like we're always going to be drawn to people who are like us. Yep. And so I think finding ways to, to question that and think like, well, does this person really have to like the same, you know, hobbies and games that I like? Or can they, you know, be into totally different stuff and still be a really good developer? You know, so I think that when you frame it in that way, I think it helps it resonate with people too, because they don't see, well, this doesn't apply to me because, you know, I am a white male. So why should I care? And it's like, well, yeah, but you might be into like one hobby and you still want to be welcome on teams where like nobody else does that hobby. Right. right? So I think it right. really applies to everybody. Yeah, totally. That, that totally mm -hmm. makes sense. I have to ask before we, we jump for break, uh, what, what is your favorite programming language? Oh gosh, I don't have one. My first one was C++. Uh, and so I feel like when I do interviews, I still jump into C++, even though I don't use it like as much anymore. It's sort of really encoded in there. So I, I enjoy it. I mean, um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm not big on picking favorite programming languages, whatever the right tools for the job. So nice. That's awesome. Cool. Well, with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about Compassion Coding. Cloudinary allows you to remove any unwanted backgrounds so you can reuse assets efficiently. You can also erase objects and people from images for placement in new experiences. For more engaging content, easily turn static images into dynamic animations and rely on smart cropping to always deliver assets with a focus on the most relevant objects to your brand. Cloudinary Programmable Media. Build faster with AI-powered image and video APIs. Yeah, so let's talk about April's with us, and we're going to break down compassionate coding. Um, and that is the name of your business as well. It's kind of all in one, right? All in one, yes. So you, you kind of, uh, before the break, we talked about how you kind of got started and went through tech, but uh, tell me compassionate coding, like 
how was it starting that business and like why you started and just like get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I did kind of gloss over it earlier. But uh, so when I was feeling kind of burnout on the industry, I went on my own personal development journey. I started reading a bunch of like self-help books, psychology books, philosophy books. I was trying to figure out like, why am I so burnout and unhappy and just not you know, thriving as a human being. And through that, I learned about this idea of compassion. I think one of the first books I read on it was Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. Uh, she does a lot of good research on this. And it was this idea that, you know, in school, I was very um, kind of type A, and I was very like trying to achieve, trying to like all of that. And I thought the only way you can do that is just by pushing yourself really hard. And I was always really hard on myself and uh, probably on the people around me as well. And this idea of compassion and the research around it was that you can actually still succeed and still pursue excellence without beating yourself up and without, you know, coming at it from this in this really harsh way. And so I was like, when I learned about that, it kind of, it just it struck a chord with me. And so I got down that path pretty deeply. I even, you know, started making changes in my life. Like I realized you know, because I feel this compassion for animals too, and I don't want them to be hurt. Like I, I went vegetarian and then eventually vegan. And so I started making these changes. I started taking better care of my health. I started exercising more, meditating, all of these things. And uh, it was specifically at a retreat about compassion that I was at, uh, that I, uh, we did this exercise of how can we bring more compassion into our life? And I thought, you know, tech could really use this because especially at the time, and remember this is 2016. Uh, and so at that time, there wasn't as much of the discussion of like maybe mental health in tech or, you know, burnout. It was sort of like, and, and the reason I say that is even when I started my company, it was like, oh, that's just soft stuff, not important. You know what I mean? It was like very dismissed and all of that made fun of. Uh, and so things have changed, thankfully, since then. But at the time, it was just like, I was like, oh, my gosh, we need this so much. And so that's why I started the company to help help others along the path that I was on myself. So kind of, you know, they say like. The, the best people to kind of help are the people who are like on the journey, maybe a few steps uh behind you because then you're you can connect with them because you only recently kind of so I thought well I can help guide other people that want to combine their interest in tech and encoding with actual like uh thriving and flourishing as a human being as well. Oh that's that's a whole lot to like bring together and digest for someone. Um the the interesting part you said uh, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but when you talk about like mental health and like it becoming better, I know you travel kind of like worldwide, right? To to do presentations and speak. Do you see that as a global kind of matter that is being addressed better now? Or is it like the United States is doing a good job, but Europe is not? Is that what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think wherever I've traveled, uh, you know, through Europe, um, Australia, the US, so it has been mostly Western countries that I've that I've traveled to. But okay. I will say there's been quite an uh, openness to these ideas, you know, especially in the Scandinavian countries, they seem even further ahead in a lot of this, a lot of their yeah. like traditional concepts and, and uh, fit in this idea of well being into the workplace. And so I think, they're definitely open to it. And it just we're just seems to be that we're having a, a more open conversation about these topics that used to be relegated to like, I don't know, like either only private conversations or like I said, in, in tech, it was very much dismissed. I mean, there's a lot of cynicism in, in tech. And so it was just like, oh, OK, you're going to talk about, you know, soft and fuzzy stuff like I'm going to tune out now, you know. And I think that that's part of the culture that I've been hoping to shift as well is just that, you know, 
we're not just like robots. Like we're not machines that we work on. We are soft and fuzzy humans. And sometimes we have emotions and sometimes, you know, we don't have to keep think of everything in these rigid terms. And yeah. so that's a big part of what I try to bring to it as well. I know you have a, a kind of recent blog post when I was doing my research behind things and uh, there's, it's called compassion is not about being nice. And can you help me understand that? Like, obviously I can read the blog post, but to me, I'm like still even processing it as I was reading it. I'm like, it still feels like it's nice. Oh. What does that actually mean? You know? Did you want to say something? Oh, there's a, a book that someone put out and I'm trying to remember the name, but it talks about that and how you can give like code reviews that are like good and you can be a nice person. And do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but. Yeah, I was just reading how you can like set up this anonymous PR so people don't feel the pain of a, like a single person kind of like out against you in a PR. I'm like, going to look just... it up. Yeah, I, I was just reading that like two, two days ago. Yeah. It must be it must be newer, but yeah. So can you help us understand, April? Like compassion is not about being nice. What is, like yeah. in my mind, I'm like that's all compassion is. What, is. what does that actually mean? Yeah. So it is like this new kind of subtle thing that you know you really get at from like just thinking about this stuff all the time and reading like all of these things about it. But I think you know being nice is basically like you sort of politeness, like not saying something like you might not want to criticize someone's code because you think, oh, I'm I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I'm just going to be quiet about it. Um, and I think that uh, with that, it's, uh, it's actually, it's not very compassionate because mm. you want to help the person grow. So compassion is about alleviating suffering, preventing suffering, you know, helping people to thrive and, and you know, be to, uh, to, to find joy and all these things and to do better in that way. So uh, if you're nice, then you avoid having the difficult conversations. Like if you're nice, and I put that in quotes, then you may avoid having the difficult conversations that can really help. A, a very easy way to look at it is like, it's uh, compassionate to tell someone they have food stuck in their teeth, but you know, they might not, they might get a little embarrassed. So you might not think it's quote unquote nice, but sure. um Oh yeah, Brittany pointed. It's radical candor, the book that she was talking yeah. about. Which I will say, I I um I appreciate some aspects of that book. I do think either when you care about somebody, you can give more direct feedback. I think sometimes uh, Kim Scott's like advice there, like she gives examples where it's okay to tell someone, oh, you know, when you say um, you sound stupid or something. And I'm like, you know, I think that there's a line. I don't oh, think we have to. That go was that said far. to her. Yeah, that was said that to was, her. She, yeah, she was not. She was endorsing it though. She was, you know. <laughs> It, it's true. Oh, That's the, oh yeah. You know, she was saying, "Oh, that was actually great yeah. because it helped me see blah blah blah." Which again, yeah. like you know, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> but I will say that, like, I don't think I think you can be direct without being like a language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Which you know, it's, and particularly about code reviews, I actually gave a talk called uh, "Compassionate but Candid Code Reviews," and it's along these lines as well. It gives some specific examples of how to critique code in a really direct way, but without saying, uh, what kind of idiot wrote this? Or or even like a little bit less or like, you're doing it wrong or whatever. It's like, you don't you don't have to speak in those terms. You can still be very direct and clear with what you don't like about a piece of code. Wow, yeah. Uh, so I, I think you brought up a, um, in one of your talks that I was watching, it's uh, Tim Cook. Um, I'm just gonna spit out the saying and, and we can talk about it. It says, 
from Tim Cook. Um, I'm not worried about artificial intelligence giving computers the ability to think like humans. I'm more concerned about people thinking like computers without values or compassion, without concern for consequences. And for me, like when, when you talk about this, it's like amazing when that was brought up because I feel like we're in the content business. Like there's no like if ands or buts about it. My podcast is our blog is like the whole thing is all about content. And I'm kind of to the point where I'm like, should I keep doing this? Because we've lost all of this emotional attachment to it. And I love this quote because I'm like, I think we should keep doing it. I can't replace us with like AI or anything like that. How how do I as a content creator, April, bring compassion back to what we're doing and like try to bring the human side back to it? That's that's the part I'm struggling with. You know, I think a big part of it is doing like it sounds simple, but like doing the opposite of what a computer would do or do the opposite of what, you know, that very kind of like rational side is drawn to. So like slow down sometimes, you know, not everything has to be super efficient. You know, you don't have to keep optimizing for the most efficient way to do something. Sometimes, you know, slowing down to, to connect with someone on a human level sometimes. And sometimes that means, you know, everyone's talking about meetings and, oh, I hate meetings and meetings take up too much time. But I will say that I think meetings are also a way to connect with people. And sometimes when a meeting runs long, it's because that relationship needed that extra time to build more connection, which is not to say we can't assess our meetings and see if they're relevant. But I think we need a little more nuance there as well of like, well, sometimes mm -hmm. that's our way of connecting. And so I think ways where you can, you know, uh, like not fit a model, like, you know what I mean? Like not... Because that, because I really think to that quote, that Tim Cook quote, I mean, that is a danger that we're having. Like, I don't know, you've yeah. probably seen on LinkedIn where people, even if they're not using AI, they start to sound like they are because they all write the same kind of posts and they all use the same format. And yeah. it's just like, even if it's a real person writing it, I, I, it's hard for me to tell. It could be a robot. And so I think just bringing your own quirkiness and, you know, which like, I, I think not trying to fit the mold and sometimes just going outside of it, I think is a good way to, uh, to avoid, you know, just because again, what we're going to get is where people are going to start sounding like the AI, and then the AI is going to learn from that. And then it's going to keep spitting out just this like drivel of just like, you yeah. know, repetitive regurgitated stuff and like, sorry to get graphic, but it's just, it's already starting to bother me. And so I feel strongly about this. I'm like, you know, just be human, you know, like be, be creative, be unique, like be, bring your own authenticity to, to the table. Yeah, I like that. I, I struggle with it a lot because like all the algorithms and everything's set up to be like push as much as you can and like hit these things. And when something's popular, chase it. And I feel like I, I always take it back in my mind to like, yes, I'm dating myself too here. But in my great grandparents, we would watch black and white TV with a dial that you had to twist still, but you got like four channels. Right. And it was amazing that our entire nation watched like one of those four channels and that was like where you got information now we have thousands of like things flying at us all the time and i feel like there's not going to ever be a uniqueness again like we've become flooded with all of these different um like information points hitting us and they've been diluted like i, I feel like they're just kind of losing a compassionate touch to them and I don't like it and I I can feel it in our, our coding and everything else because um I hundred percent a computer can do these things faster than us but we're losing those like cool parts of like hey I just tried this it's totally random and it worked like 
we talk about like Wordle, right? Like mm-hmm. that's been around for a while, but somebody changed it just like, hey, if I do this and we can share these five blocks, four blocks, whatever it was on Twitter, like all of a sudden it's neat. And it was, and they sold for a million bucks. So like those kind of ideas, I feel like we have to be able to instill back into people and make them feel comfortable too. I feel like coming out of the pandemic, people are really nervous. And then like the past year or so of what are we up to? Like three quarters of a million jobs have been lost kind of thing, lost or changed or however you want to list it. And it's, it's going back around again. How do we get through those emotional periods and like try to bring compassion back to our career and our paths in tech? Because I feel like it, it could get lost completely and it scares me. Yeah, it does scare me too. I think to avoid getting overwhelmed, uh, I, I try to focus on like my small circle of influence and what I can do. And so I think like little little things that, that we can do every day to hold on to that humanity. And I think one is, you know, meeting up with people in person. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like this is great, don't get me wrong, but like, it was just, it's very different from meeting with people in a room. And, and you know, there's studies that, that indicate that we may have these mirror neurons that, that click on more, that turn on more and help us connect more when we're in the same room. And that's, you know, how you start to mirror people's body language. Yeah. It kind of ties into all that. And we don't do it as much over Zoom. And um, I was just seeing uh, Adam Grant, um, who's like a sociologist, was posting on uh, Twitter today about a study about Zoom, that it's not that we're burnout on Zoom, it's that we're bored out, like we are bored with it because we're not getting enough stimulation. And I I definitely feel that as someone who does online presentations and in-person ones, uh, you know, and I, I I do keep it engaged, but I will say almost every zoom presentation that i've either uh you know not even just the ones i'm giving so it's not just oh i'm a bad presenter but like even like just meetups that i've been part of on zoom or whatever you everyone seems tired it's just like it's just this like pervasive tired energy and that again like for obviously i don't have like you know the proof of this but i think it all ties in like it's this uh, cycle with the economy right because if we're not stimulated then we're not going to be as creative we're not going to have those you know um inspired ideas and so then that of course like makes the economy slow down more, right? And then also because of the economical stresses, like people are more burnt out and then they perpetuate the cycle, right? And so any little tweaks we make to like break out of that cycle and you know what I mean? And so I think going out in nature is another one that that I think helps on all these fronts in terms of staying human, in terms of stimulating your creativity, stimulating your energy. And again, like, I, I, if people follow me on Twitter, know I always like post sunsets and these are like actual real sunsets that I go and see. They're not AI generated, even though I'm sure AI could make much, you know, cooler ones and, and more, you know, whatever, but like, there's something about the fact that it's real. Right. And so I actually, sometimes I get scared, but I'm more hopeful because I can already see the seeds of like a backlash, but like in a positive way of like, in the same way that, you know, we can mass produce tables, but when somebody hand puts together and carves a table, it's, you know, prized and it's like valued a lot more. And so I think in the same way, our human connection, yes, we can like chat with a chat bot and like whatever, spend our days doing that. But like when you really do connect with a human, it's like, whoa, like that's, you know, you just feel it more. And I think as long as if we get people feeling that feeling, they're going to want more of it. Yeah, for sure. I know for, for my sake, um, I've been working remotely five or six years now and like through the pandemic, everyone else got to experience it. And it it hit me even then, like, even though I've worked remote prior to it, because I couldn't even go out 
after work. Like I couldn't go mm -hmm. see people because we we're stuck. And I've finally like consciously realized like I need to go to lunches and like go see people and go do things because the majority of my time I'm just sitting in my basement. Like granted, there's a window right here and it's a good view, but winter in Michigan, as Brittany knows very well, it's dark like a lot. And it's like it's depressing and it, it, it hits people. And so that human connection I think you're talking about is hugely important and getting outside, even though it's really cold out there already, um, it, it can be a challenge. So that's cool. Um, I'm curious uh, about kind of how compassionate coding the company, like what is it that you do you go to different enterprises and talk with them? Is it just talks that you're producing? What does your company do as a whole? Yeah, so it started uh, in 2016. You know, I started blogging, creating content, as they say I did. I was blogging and tweeting and all of that. And it really seemed to resonate with people, especially on Twitter. I used to be a lot more active there. Like now, I, again, for many reasons, I, I try not to, to engage too much there, but I used to a lot. And um, somebody reached out on Twitter in a DM and they're like, hey, this is really great. Like, can we set up a call? And it ended up like he wanted me to do a training at his company. And so I did a training on compassion, communication and all of that and how it applies in the technical work that we do. And so it became a training company where I would, you know, teams would reach out and say, hey, we're struggling with this or that, or we want to improve our skills here and there. And then I would do a customized training for them on, uh, you know, those topics. And, um, and so I do that. I also uh, speak, you know, at events and at companies. So sometimes with a the company, they just, you know, at a, um, an all hands or something, they need a little boost of uh, these ideas. And so then I'll do a, a talk. Sometimes it's a more in-depth training. Uh, but I will say I always inter do interviews with the team to try to understand what their culture is, to see what the actual issues are. So it's customized more so than some of the kind of corporate training that people probably don't really like that much that's out there. Like I, I do try to bring a more human element to, to the, to the actual work that I do and, and really figure out who people are as human beings and what, how these skills can help them. And again, the reason companies hire me is that this isn't just some like nice and soft and fuzzy thing. Like, right. Like it really does help the bottom line. Like I would love that we could be compassionate just to be compassionate, but the truth is teams that, practice these skills work together better and people who are compassionate with themselves burn out less and we see this time and time again and so it's just it's it's good for business it's good for the people and uh i do think it's a you know the way the world is moving is we're looking at not just the bottom line but also the impact that we're having are you finding that you're doing a lot more of those in person or are you doing those remote as well so before the pandemic, I did it almost exclusively in person. Okay. And that is because we would connect. I, I really think people connect better in person, yeah. like for especially when you're talking about these deep issues. During the pandemic, because of circumstance, I did do them online. And I will say this, people still appreciated them and they still like got a ton of value out of them. The reason I paused that for a while was because I didn't enjoy it as much. And so although people loved it, I, I personally was just like, it was tiring me out. And it was just, yeah. I... I love being able to read the room and to like follow the energy and engage with people directly. And so doing it in a virtual room, it's just, it's no matter what you bring to it, no matter how much you, it's just, it doesn't have that same satisfaction for me. So I still do it again to accommodate teams and whatever, and they still get value out of it, but it's just, I have to balance that out with doing in-person stuff for my own sake. So I do a lot of in-person stuff as well, uh, both, you know, uh, speaking and all of that. So 
although tire, um, travel can sometimes be tiring and, you know, of course it does use resources. I think the value that comes out of it is just so much that for me, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, sorry. I keep like jumping around on your blog posts because I, I, I had like three or four of them kind of in there. Um, the other one that I wanted to talk about is uh, only you can prevent tech burnout. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like, this is big on my mind because I, I hit that wall this year and like I went through a huge depression state. Brittany knows all about it. It was it was rough. Uh, I want to know when when it says only you can prevent it. What is like break that down for me and help me understand that a little further? Yeah, I think the reason I went with that at the time is a lot of times when we talk about burnout, it becomes part of this kind of online co-rumination kind of thing, especially on social media, where it's just like, you know, oh, I burn out. Yeah, tech burns people out. Oh, this is terrible. We're all burnt out. Yeah. And then, you know, and it's like, to me, it's just this disempowering kind of thing, which again, mm -hmm. if you are in a down state is like, you don't want to embrace that learned helplessness, because then, you know what I mean? It's going to keep you from from getting out of it. And so yeah. with, with that, my goal was to not dismiss the fact that there are you know, systems at play here, but that as an individual, we have power in our choices as well. And so in that article, if I remember correctly, it was, I was also suggesting that people who are in a position of power, who like are running these companies, that we look closely at who we're rewarding. And if we're only rewarding the person who does burn themselves out and who works, you know, after hours and on the weekends, then we're basically setting up everyone else for burnout because we're like, oh, this is how you succeed is you have to, you know? And so I wanted to put the power in the, in the hands of anyone reading it, that both if you're in a position of organizational power, but also as an individual, like what choices are you making? And some people, because I feel like what happens all too often is people feel stuck in a job and then it's yeah. like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? It's, I can't, you know, like, it must be nice that you can just quit, but like, I don't, you know, I have to have this job. And it's like, there's always a small step to take. And I think that, you know, and I've been through those periods too, where I feel like, what am I supposed to do? And, and I think, if somebody can tell you like, here's one thing you can do, you know what I mean? Like you could, you know, get out a book from the library for free on, you know, updating your resume or you could, you know, whatever it may be, that small step that you can take, I think uh, can set you on a path. I mean, I hopefully you've come out of your, yours, but I imagine, I mean, uh, that, you know, it's those small steps that you can like getting through the day sometimes that, that do help uh, like perpetuate themselves and create a virtuous cycle instead of a, you know, a downward spiral. Yeah. That, that's very helpful. I, I think it, the books that I've read, uh, I think the depression cure is the biggest one for me. And it, it just breaking the cycle is kind of one of the biggest keys. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, what am I missing? Like, tell me, tell me more about compassionate coding stuff I've missed. Is there anything else that we're missing? Um, I guess one thing that I've just been talking a lot more about lately. So when I started my company, I felt like the pendulum was way swung towards, like I said, this hyper aggressive, like very, you know, hus hustle culture, all this kind of stuff and, and all that. I think that the pendulum swung pretty far over to the other side in the years that I've had it where, you know, it's been this like, uh, maybe too much the other way in the sense of like, you know, uh, oh, well, you know, why work anyway? And who wants to work and all this stuff and whatever. And so I think in all of these issues, I, I see a balance, you know what I mean? And this comes from some of the meditation stuff and all of that that I've done as well is in any issue, there's usually a balance to be struck between the two extremes. And so I think any way that we can, uh, you know, avoid getting in the extremes, whatever it may be, and see where we need to instead strike a balance. I think that, that that's going to, I think, be better for everybody. Great. Love it.
Cool. Uh, we're going to take and flip over to our perfect picks. April, I'll give you a minute because I know that uh, you still have one cooking. Uh, Brittany, do you want to go first? If I can actually share my oh, sure. screen quickly enough. <laughs> Here we go. Is it coming up? <laughs> it's being slow. It? It's just, it's it. got a loading spinner for me. Oh, I can no. see it. I don't I think Bert's okay. Wi-Fi is still struggling. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> My Wi-Fi is not struggling. It's fine. Um, so this is the flight attendant. Um, we took Max up on the deal of, I think it's like $3.99 for three months is what they were giving people with ads. And so nice. this is going to send me down a funny little rant because uh, ad services and platforms are terrible. And theirs is not an exception to the rule. So their ad service freezes the thing and you have to go out of it and back into the, so that part of it sucks. You should just pay for the full <laughs> subscription service is the story here. But a uh, flight attendant has been really good to watch. Like it's been enjoyable. Um, we, uh, we took a week off cause my husband was on nights and now we were back up in the second season and I, it's getting addictive again. So if you haven't seen the second season, if you saw the first one and enjoyed it, I think it comes back. It's a little strange, but I think it comes back. Yeah. There's some trippy moments for sure in the flight attendant. I really enjoyed watching it. I think, uh, my yeah. wife kind of ran. I like her inner season. thought moments. Like, yes, same. <laughs> like I love those parts. Yeah. Um, my pick this week is Monarch. Uh, I think we're like five episodes in that have been released at this point. Uh, it's super awesome. Uh, I've always been a like a Godzilla fan and like the the Monarch like universe, whatever you call it, surrounding it. So I was nervous that they would kind of ruin that. And it's told from like a people perspective this time, and I love it. It's awesome. When you said that you were going to pick this sister, I didn't even realize this was the show, but yes, we've been watching this too. Oh, cool. It's really good. Yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. it. So that's my pick. April. Okay. So I, I, I mentioned that I'll go a little uh, different direction here, but so my, uh, I would recommend, um, a, a product, I guess, per se, which is a gratitude journal. So I would say one of the biggest, like, powerful tools that I've had on my um, journey was, uh, I think, 2015. So even before I started my company, I started writing in a gratitude journal. And it was just every night, I just wrote three things that I was grateful for. And I only put that in that journal, like it was dedicated to that. So it was just positivity. Even on bad days, I can be grateful for getting through the day. Uh, you know, you can be grateful for the lessons learned. And it's just, you know, it attracts more gratitude. We have research around this. It's, it's just a great thing. I will say it's best to do by hand. And I know that's hard for some devs to hear, but it, it engages different parts of the brain and it slows us down. And it's another one of those ways to avoid becoming, uh, you know, a machine. Although there are some AI that do handwriting, but we're going to leave that aside for now. But yeah, I do recommend uh, that. So that's that's my pick. Nice like it uh, i will show this off um i don't know if this is the exact one but i did a whole like gratitude series um at, in a local place that my wife does yoga i really oh. enjoyed it and prior to that she gave me a book my wife did um and she said try this out and i'm like this is really cheesy i don't like doing it but to your point it, it really breaks you out of a cycle and the cool part if you buy a like not just a journal, not a piece of paper, but a true gratitude one is it places different like thoughts in here. 
And so I would never think to say like someone who makes my life better. Like I would never think of the things it's asking me. So I really enjoyed like the prompts in a lot of these gratitude journals that are out there. And many of them do like uh, different prompts every day, every week, like whatever it might be. So yeah, that is a fantastic pick. Love it. Well, April, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about compassionate coding. Really appreciate it. And I hope you all the success. Thank you. You likewise. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you too. Thanks. Yeah, Bye -bye. thank you.